pray again as we come to God's word. Father, thank you for this uh, wonderful letter that, though written thousands of years ago, is still so poignant for us today. Father, please, once again, would you be at work in us by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, changing us, that we could truly say with Paul that to live is Christ and to die is gain. In Jesus' name, amen. You are not ready to live until you are ready to die. Read that this week. You know, sometimes you read things and phrases just stick with you, catch you, come up again and again in your thinking. The author goes on to explain what he means by this. He's, he says, the end of your life must be secure if the present, before the present can be stable. It is only when you know what death brings that you can live in fearless faith. You are not ready to die. Sorry, let me say that again. You are not ready to live until you are ready to die. For the Apostle Paul, knowing what death would bring had a profound impact on his life. Are you ready to live for Christ in everything? Well, are you ready to die? Last week we saw what Paul's life-controlling passion was. He had gospel passion and everything else in his life was subordinate to that. The good news of Jesus had so gripped and grabbed his heart that everything else came second, a distant second. The gospel was so much more important, we saw, than his circumstances. So even though he was in prison, that kept, he kept going and witnessing. And he could even rejoice in his imprisonments. He could even rejoice when people were preaching Christ, trying to harm him, because, well, the gospel was being preached. And today, Paul carries on very much in that vein. And we, today we see that the gospel is more important than his life. In verse 21 of our, our verses, Paul writes perhaps what is his most iconic sentence. Verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What an incredibly profound sentence that is, explaining his outlook on life and death. For to me, look, he says, whatever anyone else might think, whatever anyone else might believe, whatever anyone else might be doing, for to me, to live is Christ. My life is utterly committed to his work, to his priorities, his concerns, his gospel. And to die is gain. It's a great benefit to him. Paul's gospel passion means that he cares more about Jesus than he does about himself. He will serve Jesus with everything that he has until the day that he dies and goes to be with Jesus. For Paul, his entire life is given over to Jesus and to serving him. This is single-minded passion at its sharpest. Utter devotion to Jesus. This commitment to walking with Jesus in everything, this commitment to proclaiming the gospel no matter what it would mean for him, his whole life was given over to that. For Paul, to live 
is Christ. And to die is to bring that ministry, that wonderful ministry that it is, is to bring that ministry to an end. But even so, to die is gain. Gain, uh, you know, there's people who got on, on Bitcoin early and cashed out much later. What tremendous gain in one sense they made. Well, well this is what Paul is saying. It's like a windfall. It's an abundant benefit. Why? Well, we see at the end of verse 23 that, well, to die is to go and be with Christ. We live in a world that is terrified by the prospect of death. Uh, Google faithfully faithfully informs me that something along the lines of about 500 people have been cryogenically frozen. All right, so after they've died, they've had their, their body, all of them frozen, in the hope that in the future science is going to be able to bring them back to life. Now, that's quite an extreme version. But people are terrified of death. And in one sense, rightly so. And as Christians, as painful as death is, and it is, it means separation from loved ones, as painful it is, yet we have hope. But it is easy for us, I think, as Christians to think, okay, death is okay. Right? Death is okay because I've got a, a safety, a good safety blanket as it were. But for Paul, to die is gain. Great benefit. Now you might think, doesn't this all sound a little bit extreme? All right, Paul, just calm down a little bit. Or maybe we're thinking, hey, okay, he's the Apostle Paul, so particular calling. Isn't this just a little extreme, this talk of you know, everything in life being committed to him and, and death being better than this life? Well, I don't think Paul would say so. Paul wouldn't say this is extreme. He would say this is what it means to be a Christian. He would tell us that this is the best life that you could live and the best future that you could ever dream of. I don't know how... Just think for yourself, if you were to kind of fill in the blank, for to me, to live is... For me, to die is... I don't know how you'd finish that sentence... We may well say, and hopefully so, for me to live is Christ and family and work and fun and holidays. But it is all too easy for that to turn into, for me to live is holidays, fun, work, family and Christ. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And remember, what makes that so? Well, it makes it so is who Jesus is, who Christ is. Jesus who came into this world in the most humblest of manners. Jesus who came and lived a perfect, loving life, but who died a sinner's death, taking the punishment of his people's sins upon himself as he died upon a cross. Jesus who brings hope both now and for eternity. Jesus who brings that certain future of of eternal life with God. Jesus who is the faithful friend, the rock that we can turn to. Now who else could be worthy or what else could be worthy of such devotion? Nothing. But Jesus is. 
Paul's heart is so captivated by Christ that everything in his life is for him. And to die, well, it's gain. And when Christ grabs our hearts, likewise, then we too can say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the rest of the verses around either side of it really are an outworking of this attitude. So when to live is Christ and to die is gain, then we're going to see three things. The first one is, when to live is Christ and to die is gain, honouring Christ is the priority. See how Paul begins back in verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul has rejoiced. We saw that in the first half of verse 18. He's rejoiced that the gospel has been preached. And now he says, look, I'm going to continue to rejoice, no matter what my circumstances. And Paul is confident that all that is happening to him, his arrest, his imprisonment, his trial, and whatever the outcome is, all of that will work out for his deliverance. You see that at the end of verse 19. Now, it's not that Paul is sure that he is going to get off and be set free. The deliverance that Paul has in mind is something greater than that. It's the word used for salvation or vindication. Through the prayers of the Philippians and the subsequent help of the Spirit, Paul knows that whatever happens, whether life or death, God will declare him faithful. And to Paul, God's verdict is significantly more important than Caesar's. God's verdict is significantly more important to him than Caesar's. To see how he puts it then in verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. Through the help of the Spirit, he is confident that if he's freed, if he lives, Christ is going to be honoured in his body because he's going to keep faithfully ministering of Jesus. He is equally confident that if he is condemned, if he dies, Christ will still be honoured in his body because he will remain faithful to Christ. He won't try and all of a sudden, I turn his back on this, on his faith and his message to try and save his skin. And because of that, he is confident that when he stands before God, he, know, he will know that he has served him, not perfectly, but faithfully. And that Jesus has been exalted in everything. Because what Paul is doing in these verses, really, he, he's in asking, he's encouraging the Philippians to pray for him. He, he's, he starts in verse 19, look, by saying... Uh, look, I know that through your prayers, through your prayers, he, he anticipates that God is going to work through their prayers. And just by way of passing, if you're not praying, maybe perhaps one reason you're not praying is because you've lost confidence that God works through his prayers. Paul would have no such doubts. God loves to work through the prayers of his people. And Paul is encouraging them to pray for them. He's like, pray for me, but pray that I would not be ashamed that I won't be ashamed, but that Christ would be honoured. You see that at the end, that Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. 
If he's released, he will continue to preach the gospel. If he is condemned, he will die with utter confidence in Christ that he will go to be with him. When to live is Christ and to die is gain, honouring Christ in everything is the priority. Now, isn't that a really good thing to be praying for one another? Paul is asking them to pray that for himself. Isn't that a good thing to pray for each other? We thought a few weeks ago about praying not just for one another's immediate needs and cares. Those things are good to pray for. We saw, but praying that our love would abound more and more. Well, let's add to those prayers that our love would abound more and more so that we'd approve what is excellent. Let's pray that we'd be praying that Christ would be honoured in our lives and in our deaths. Paul's concern isn't that he'd be released or that if he was convicted that he, he would die a kind of quick and painless death. His concern is that he would have courage to do nothing, nothing that would make him ashamed before God but that he would honour Christ in everything. I was trying to think of examples for us, for, for what that looks like. And in a sense, I actually struggled because that covers everything, doesn't it? It's heart attitude. In every single area of life, every decision that we make, everything we do, Christ will be honoured. I guess for Paul, the particular one here was, the, the particular pressure on him was that he was speaking the gospel of Christ. That's where the pressure came. If he backed off there, well, all these troubles will go away. And again, I wonder whether that's a particular temptation for us to, to stop or to not speak of Christ. But remember for Paul, God's verdict was more important than Caesar's. And again, is God's verdict more important to us than our friends, our colleagues, the stranger on the street, whoever it might be? Paul wants to do nothing that would cause him to be ashamed before God, but that Christ would be honoured in everything. So when to live is Christ and to die is gain, honouring Christ is the priority. And secondly, the prospect of death is attractive. Paul is, is not suicidal here. Paul is not thinking, great, if I kind of put on a big enough show, then they'll, they'll condemn me, they'll kill me. But when he thinks about death, he sees it not as a bad thing, but in some sense, appealing thing. It's attractive to him. We said that Paul says that to die is gain. Why is that the case? Well, to die means to go and be with Christ. Paul is confident that Christ is going to be honoured and he will be delivered, he will be vindicated. He doesn't know whether that's going to happen by release at trial or by his condemnation. Uh, and Paul's kind of the outcome of this isn't in Paul's hand, but he kind of gets musing. You know, if he had a choice, what would he choose? Would he choose to be set free? Would he choose to die? Well, if to live is Christ and to die is gain, actually, death is attractive. Which would he choose? Well, verse 22, have a look. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He can't, he can't decide. He says it, it twice, that which I shall choose, I do not know. I'm hard-pressed between the two. He, he's torn between those two options. But what's his deep desire? Well, his desire 
is to depart and be with Christ. Uh, that, that word for depart is, is the kind of word of like untying, of being released. A bit like a kind of boat that's been tied to the land. You untie it and release that boat. And that's how Paul sees death, is this kind of untying, a release from this world to be set free. Because he sees that death is but the entrance to life. Death is the path that leads to being with Jesus. What happens when a Christian dies? Well, a Christian goes straight to be with Jesus. Jesus said, as he was hanging on the cross to to one of the other thieves, today you will be with me in paradise. A Christian soul goes straight to be with Jesus. And uh, we wait until Jesus returns, and then we will rise bodily too. But but Paul is so so loves his Saviour that he longs to go and be with him. And when he thinks about death, that is his focus. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. It's not my desire is, is for death so that at last I would be free from this prison, or at last I would be free from these troubles, or at last I won't be in pain anymore, whatever it might be. When he thinks of death, he sees the, the greatness is to go and be with Christ. When I was at university, we had... Um, student lunches where the students were divided up and sent to um, different families for, for Sunday lunch and there was one family who worked outside the system um, they were called uh, John and Mary and they were an elderly couple and they just kind of went rogue and did their own thing but that was the best place to go for Sunday lunch in Bournemouth you get roast potatoes like the size of your fist but like fluffy as anything and then she would cook at least three puddings from scratch uh, and you kind of, as student boys, you kind of, how many portions could you get in and those things? But it, it was truly, it was the best Sunday lunch going in Bournemouth. That was the place to go. But I'll tell you what, the best thing about going to John and Mary's wasn't the food. It was John and Mary. They were the loveliest couple you could ever meet. They were incredibly welcoming, hospitable, warm-hearted, caring, prayerful, encouraging. The best part of going to their house was going to see them. And when it comes to thinking about our future, I think sometimes we forget what is best. What is best about a Christian's future is we depart to be with Christ. It will be wonderful to live in a world with no pain or crying, mourning, tears and all those things. It will be wonderful to live in a world that isn't tainted and corrupted by sin. But we go to be with Christ. And you see how Paul says, he says that is far better. For him this is far better. It's not equally good option or slightly better. No, to be with Christ is far better. When to live is Christ and to die is gain, the prospect of death is attractive. That changes everything for us. It changes everything for a Christian to know what awaits to be with Christ. And it is when we know our future, that security, stability there, that now can be stable and that now we can live in fearless faith. So finally... When to live is Christ and to die is gain, other people 
are a priority. You ever thought about what it would be like to go to prison? I know sometimes you kind of watch prison dramas or something and you kind of think, how, how would I cope? How would I survive? What would I do? Well, I think one of the things for sure, if I was in prison, all I'd be thinking about was me. How I could survive. How I could get through. But not Paul. Paul, here he is. Uh, well, sorry, and if I was even there with Paul, or if I was a friend of Paul, I'd be saying to him, look, Paul, you've done so much for the sake of the gospel. Just look after yourself now. See out your final days in peace before you get your great reward. But Paul would have had absolutely none of that. To live is Christ. And that means that he thinks more about others than he does about himself. Because look, his desire, his deep desire, is to depart and be with Christ. But his choice, if it was his, it's not, but if it was his, his choice would be to stay. He happily lays down his own desires for the benefit of others. See that from verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Do you notice how many times in those verses, your, you, your, your, you, how striking it is that Paul's ambitions are actually linked to the well-being of others, not his own. Knowing that it would be better for the Philippians if he remained, he's convinced that God is going to work things out that way. Paul has a deep concern and passion for the lost. We saw his, his heartfelt desire for the gospel to advance. But he's equally committed to God's people that they would have progress in the faith. And you see that word uh, translated progress in verse 25 is the same word that in verse 12 is translated advance. He wants the gospel to advance amongst the lost and he wants the gospel to advance progress in the life of these Christians. And so he's committed to your progress and joy in the faith. What made Paul so selfless? What would mean that he'd be happily lay down his, his own desire for the good of others? Well, to live is Christ. And how did Christ live? We're going to see this particularly in chapter 2. But Christ laid down his own desires, his own benefit for the good of others. Christ is the ultimate selfless one. As he, the perfect one, came from glory and yet sacrificed himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that was Jesus. That's who Paul is following. And so he will gladly do that too. And we are further down that line, following Christ. And so we're called to selflessness, to looking more to the benefit of others than ourselves. And each and every day, not only in such extreme circumstances, but each and every day we face that dilemma. Are we going to live for my desires or am I going to live for the benefits of others? Now, it's so easy to think, you know, when it comes to a decision, well, what's best for me, me and my own? 
Well, what a wonderful change it is when that default thought becomes, what's good for them? In this situation, what is best going to benefit them? What is best going to advance the gospel? Or what is best going to uh, see the progress of their faith? Paul lays himself out, he lays himself bare to the Philippians. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. His future is so certain and secure and so wonderful that it means that he can live with fearless faith now, knowing that the worst Caesar could do would actually to bring about his deepest desire. Oh Lord, would our hearts be so captivated by Christ that we too could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, please, would that indeed be true of us? Please, would we be daily focusing on, thinking about, meditating on, delighting in our Lord Jesus Christ? That truly our deepest desire would be to, to, to be with him, but while we remain, that we would love to live for him in everything. Father, please work that in us, that we too would seek to honour Christ in, in every aspect of, every li- of everyday life and would we be living for the benefit of others. Please help us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to learn a verse, this one's quite a short one, quite an easy one. 121, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Benefit to learn that one this week, if you're doing that yourself or as a family. And then next week's passage, again, a short one, but it'd be really benefit you to have read it through, prayed it through a few times. We're going to look at verse 27 to 30. Thanks, Andrew.